Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at Romans 8 and Galatians 5, and I'm going to use those as our text verses today. Now, I'd like for you to stand if you'd do that, if you would, with me. I know some of you are groaning back there, and you're going, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Wait until I preach an hour and a half. We'll see if you want to stand up then. <laughs> some of you say, I think I will stand. That fool could do it. <laughs> you got wrong. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, you got it? Yep. All right, now we're not looking at Romans 8, 28. All right, just be real honest with you. Some of you know that verse really well. Maybe we'll look at one you don't know so well, okay? Look at verse 14, you got it? 8, 14. All right. You ready to read with me? If you can't find it in your Bible and you're still struggling, I think they're going to put it up there on the board, I hope. Maybe one of these days they will. If they don't, you're going to have to look on somebody else's Bible. It's a little small, fellas. You can't make it no bigger than that. You got some elderly folks in this room right here. We're not talking good eyes anymore. We're talking Coke bottle glasses, okay? Look at what it says, Romans 8, 14. You ready? For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, before we move on from verse 16, let me just say that itself there would be better translated himself because the spirit is not an it. You got that? It's a he. So it's himself. You got that? All right, let's look over to Galatians for a second. Galatians chapter 5. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 25. Real short verse. You can find it and we'll say it together. You ready? It says, if we live in the spirit, let us also... Say it one more time. If we... Let us also... All right, be seedy. Now, that, that little spot there in that verse, it says, let us walk in the Spirit. You could say it like this. Some translations translate it, let's keep step with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. All right. I was reading on the Internet this week, and I came across a guy named Lou Goldstein. And Lou said there are certain things to him that's very confusing. After I read his list, I thought, yeah, I could see that. First thing he says is this, why is the word abbreviated such a long word? Why is a man who invests all of his money called a broker? Why is lemon juice made with artificial flavor and dishwashing liquid made with real lemons? How come we, ch we choose between two people to run for president and 50 for Miss America? By the way, it looks like it's not going to be that way this time, doesn't it? Democrats seem to be just getting warmed up. They already got about 10 or 12. It says, uh, this next one I thought was great. Why doesn't Tarzan have a beard? This is a good one. Why is the third hand on a watch called the second hand? 
If pro is the opposite of con, what is the opposite of progress? Congress. Some of you weren't getting it. I was going to help you. <laughs> I couldn't resist. That was a good one, didn't you think? How did a fool and his money get together in the first place? This last one I thought was great. What's another word for synonym? <laughs> Don't you? That's pretty tricky. That guy's pretty smart. You know it? Now, you know the amazing thing to me, I enjoyed this Goldstein's list, but I'll confess to you, I'm surprised he didn't include a question about the Holy Spirit. Because it seems to me like there are many people that are confused about the Holy Spirit. Now, today is the seventh message, and the last one I'm going to preach on the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, you're less confused now than you were seven weeks ago when we started. Hopefully, I've been able to answer some questions. You know, it seems to me like most Christians understand something about God the Father. And, and we, we do real well there. We, when we talk about God the Father, it seems like we do all right. God the Son, yeah, that's great. We know about Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Ghost, maybe it's because we call him the Holy Ghost. I thought it interesting this week as I was studying the Holy Ghost, that word ghost, back in the, way back when, it's an Anglo-Saxon word, and they pronounce it the Holy Guest. The Holy Guest. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. A.W. Tozer wrote that the average Christian thinks about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, he's likely to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke, which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they die. Well, people have spread a lot of nonsense, a lot of false teaching when it comes to the Holy Ghost. Sometimes when you watch it on television, it amazes me because I've seen some programs on the TV that made me just scratch my head. For example, I saw one group that decided that having the Holy Ghost meant that you laughed. And everybody was laughing. I mean, they were laying down in the pews laughing in this church, and they explained it that the Holy Ghost had come upon them. Another group I thought that was really unique was those that thought the Holy Ghost, when he came upon you, you barked like a dog. And they were barking. And they said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you bark like a dog. I've seen a few barking dogs in my life. I never thought of the Holy Ghost. I remember when Bev and I were young and we were still dating I'll never forget she, is she in here? Good. She uh, temporarily lost her mind. <laughs> I'm not giving her five seconds to straighten it up either. I'm going to tell it my way and you'll have to talk to her after church. And she buzzed me off. And she started dating this young man. 
And I mean, like, first date, he told her that the Holy Ghost had told him that they had a future together. <laughs> he started hinting around towards marriage. And Bev, being the perceptive gal that she was, and deep down still having a flame in her heart for me. <laughs> I'm telling the story my way. You'll have to see her after church. <laughs> she looked at that young man, and this is the true part of the story. She said, well, the Holy Spirit sure hasn't revealed anything to me. God does lead people, I think sometimes in very specific ways. In fact, I believe the Bible lists some of those ways. And so let's look at some of them from the scriptures. Let's start this morning by seeing some illustrations from scriptures where God actually leads people. Now, we read that verse a moment ago in chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Did you remember? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, you know, if you keep reading on, you'll see what God's leading them there. In that particular passage, he's leading them to the assurance of their salvation. The Bible basically goes on to say that we've been adopted, and now we cry, Abba, Father. Now we're not just heirs with Christ, we're joint heirs with Christ. You see, Pastor, uh, how do I know if I'm saved? Number one, you know you're saved because the Bible says you are. Number two, the Holy Spirit, listen to me now, witnesses with your spirit that you are his child. So the Bible says that the Spirit of God witnesses to our spirit. If you keep reading in the same book, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, or excuse me, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Paul's going to talk about how that he loves Israel. Verse number one, he goes about how much he loves Israel. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with his conscience. He says that on several occasions. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm telling you the truth and the Holy Spirit has verified in my spirit that this is true. Yeah. You see, the Holy Spirit witnesses in the inner man of the Christian. Amen. He tells us that we're his. And he leads us to the assurance of our salvation. And he leads us to truth. Now, there are other places in the Bible, in the book of Acts, where the Bible talks about the Spirit of God leading the children of God. Now, let me read you some of those verses. How do we, as Galatians chapter 5 says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit? How does a Christian know when God is leading in their life? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, Philip, one of the early church leaders, was walking down the road, and up the road he saw a man in a chariot. In fact, this man was an, this man was an African. In fact, he's the first person of color that you can find in the scriptures besides Simon of Cyrene. Uh, the Bible says that this man becomes a Christian. He goes by the Spirit's leading. He joins himself with this man in the chariot. And the Bible says it this way in chapter 8, verse 29. It says, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself under the chariot. And he did. The Holy Spirit told him to do that, and he did. 
If you go a little further in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse number 19, here we have Simon Peter. He has this strange dream, and he's kind of wondering what's going on and what it means. And the Bible says, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek ye. Arise, therefore, go down thee, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. The Spirit of God tells Peter, hey, Peter, go downstairs. I know you're on the roof. I know you had that weird dream. I know you saw that sheet come down with those unclean animals three times. But the bottom line is, since you can't get what I'm trying to tell you figuratively, I've got three guys at the gate down there. Go down there and meet them. I'm going to have them take you to a guy named Cornelius. And so Peter does what the Holy Spirit tells him to do. And by the way, that's the full-fledged Gentile, first one in the, all the church that gets saved. Cornelius wasn't part Jew, part Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He was complete Gentile. First one to ever be in the church. Well, if you keep going a little further, you get to Acts chapter 13. And the church leaders are gathered together. And the Bible says, now there was at the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian that was brought up Terod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered unto the Lord and they fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, notice that. Separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they fasted and prayed, they laid hands on him and they sent him away. And the apostle Paul and Barnabas go out on the first missionary journey as the first missionaries of the church. And off they go into Asia Minor telling people about Christ. Well, if you go to Acts chapter 16, the Bible says now in verse number 6, when they'd gone through Pergia and regions of Galatia, they were forbidden. They were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they assayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The Bible says after passing through Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood of Macedonia a man, and he prayed. He said, come over to Macedonia and to help us. You say, Pastor, what's the significance of that? Paul goes, here the Spirit forbids him. Paul goes, here the Spirit forbids him. Finally, he gets on the very edge of the Asian minor in Turkey and the, has this incredible dream, and a man from Macedonia, from Greece. You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Because Greece is Europe. And most of us trace our roots to where? And aren't you glad that the gospel came to Europe? Amen. You should be amening right now or else we wouldn't be saved. Amen. Yeah, so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes along and the Holy Spirit begins to lead his people. He begins to reveal his word. Now, I'll be real honest with you. When you read through those passages, the Bible doesn't give you the what for. The Bible doesn't explain every detail. For example, I don't know exactly if the Holy Spirit spoke an audible voice. I don't know if they're walking down the road and all of a sudden they hear a voice out of heaven and the Spirit says, Philip, go get up in the chariot. Maybe it was an inner voice. Maybe he heard it in his inner man. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say. When it talks about Paul being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, sp to speak, does it mean that maybe circumstances turned out in such a way that it just didn't seem to work? 
He was, maybe the road was out. There was a detour and they couldn't go down the road they planned to go down to in those particular regions. And they finally figured out, maybe this is the Holy Ghost talking to us. You know, the Bible doesn't really say. But it does seem to indicate that the Holy Spirit began to lead them. God had a different plan than what they than what they were planning on doing. And God says, hey, if you're going to accomplish what I want you to do, you need to listen to what the Holy Spirit says because the Spirit of God is going to tell you what I want. And so this morning as we look at this passage, uh, there's probably a question in some of our minds. Well, Pastor, how does God talk to me? How do I know what God wants from me in my life? How do I know when the Spirit of God is affecting my outcome and he's, he's speaking in his subtle way to me, trying to make sure I do what God wants me to do in my life? How do I know when he's doing that? Some people say, well, you know, Pastor, God doesn't work the same way today as what he did back then. God doesn't do the same things he did then as he does now. For example, Peter had a vision. Peter had a dream. Does God still speak through dreams and visions? The Bible doesn't clarify that. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welch doctor who became a pastor back in the mid-1900s. He pastored Westminster Chapel in London. Listen to what he has to say. There's no question but that God's people can look for and expect leadings and guidings and indication of what they're meant to do. Men have been told by the Holy Ghost to do something and they knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them and it transpired that obviously it was his leading. It seems clear to me that if we deny such a possibility, we may be guilty of quenching the Spirit. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I think he's right. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit guides us on every single decision we make. For example, when I got out of bed this morning, I didn't say, Lord, do you want me to wear a yellow shirt with a green tie and, a, and brown pants? <laughs> with brown shoes. I'm glad I could get it back down. I got it up there and I was thinking maybe I couldn't. <laughs> If I couldn't have got it back down, it wouldn't have been the Spirit's leading for me to put it up there in the first place, right? I don't, you know, I used to have a college professor who would say that he stood in his wardrobe closet and then he would ask the Lord, blue tie or red tie? You know what I did when I was in college? Which one has the less stains? I didn't care what color it was. By that time, it was taking on a color of its own. <laughs> does, God, does God care what color car you buy? I don't know. Well, it's something to think about, isn't it? Well, we've looked at some implications or illustrations. Let's look at some observations for a few moments. If God's going to talk to us and God's going to lead us, what does it kind of look like? Okay? So let's, I'm trying to be practical today. I'd like to be so practical that you go out of here and you think, man, I not only learned something, but I think I can use that today and tomorrow and the next day because I think it's important. I think the leading of God's spirit in your life is very important. 
So let me start by saying this morning, when we start making these observations, I see five of them about God leading in our lives. First of all, the leading of the Holy Spirit requires that I give up control. The leading of the Holy Spirit requires that I give up control. Now, you know that verse in Romans chapter 12. Paul says in verse number one, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, notice this, that you present your bodies wholly acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. Now, that passage is basically saying, that the inner man that lives within me happens to live within that outer man called Phil. Would you agree with that? I have a flesh, you have a flesh, and it houses God's spirit. God's spirit lives within us. And the scripture says that I am to present my body, here it is, as a living sacrifice, not a dead one. Amen. Present my body, a living sacrifice, under God. Now that word presents, interesting word. It means to be literally close to hand. Close to hand. Last night we were working on our uh, gas water heater. We we're trying to get the timer. We got one of those pumps that circulates hot water. Man, it's fantastic because that bath. That back bedroom takes about five minutes to get the hot water to it. So when that rascal works good, man, you get in there. Otherwise, you're standing on the outside going. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. The Bible says that you're to present your body, make it close to God's hand. We were looking for ways to set that little timer. And you know, when you start getting older, and like I said earlier, got them Coke bottle glasses and you can't see and it's kind of dark and your, your cataracts are kind of kicking in on you and you're trying to see this thing and you're, you're trying to get the light on it just so. And, and finally I said, man, I got to go get me a flashlight and I keep one right there in that first drawer in the kitchen. I walked in there and I grabbed that flashlight because it presented itself to me. It was close at hand. God says I'm to be close to his hand. I'm to present my body as a living sacrifice. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that when God's leading takes place in a Christian, it's because you present yourself a living sacrifice. I'm saying because you're close to his hand, God begins to reveal his will to you. Now, if you're running out there in left field doing circles around the backstops, you really can't expect God to say much to you. He doesn't go, hey, you. You're not close enough. You say, Pastor, I want to hear God's leading in my life. I want to know what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. Well, let me tell you the first thing. You got to quit controlling you and let him start controlling you. You got to present your body as a living sacrifice. And you got to come and say, Lord, I want to be close to your hand so that you can speak to me. Come on, you listening to me? You see, the problem with most Christians is we like to be in control. One writer said this way, deep down, many of us want to control our own lives. And the thought of being led by the Spirit is unnerving and it's scary. 
So therefore, we ask, the Holy, we ask for the Holy Spirit. We need to release our grip on the control of our lives. And honestly, that's not a one-time thing. The act of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice is a daily decision. Today, I'm going to be about your will, not about my will. You see, I'm totally convinced you'll never be filled with the Spirit if you're full of yourself. There has to come a time when we say, God, I present myself to you. Secondly, I would say this. The leading of the Holy Spirit is always consistent with the Scripture. You remember that passage over there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know the amazing thing, both the Hebrew and the Greek have the same meaning for the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it's the idea of breath. Rosh, the Hebrew word. The New Testament, pneuma, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of breath. And yet the Bible says when God gave his word, the Bible is God breathed. Are you catching that? So listen to me. The Holy Spirit never leads you to do something that's contrary to God's word. The same spirit that lives within you that's referred to as the breath of God is the same spirit that breathed out God's word. They're always consistently together. I had a guy one time that I was talking to and he basically had gotten caught in infidelity and he said, Pastor, he said, you know, bottom line is, God led me to that woman. Hey, bottom line is this. Do you think that God would lead you to do something that's inconsistent with his word? So the bottom line, folks, listen to me. God is in sync with the scriptures. Let me give you the third one. The leading of the Holy Spirit is often clearest when we pray. Now, look at Romans chapter 8 again. Now, we looked there before. Let's look there again. Let's look at verses 26 and 27 because the Bible talks about praying and it says that the Spirit of God gets involved in that. Now, remember, look up here just for a second. I know you want to look at the verse. I'm going to get there, I promise. I house the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives within me. What? Know you're not that your body is what? The temple of the Holy Ghost. God's spirit lives within me. Now, he resides there. He makes his abode there. And scripture says he never leaves. He's always there. And notice what it says in Romans chapter 8. Notice the Bible says it this way. It says in verse 26, Likewise, the spirit also helps our weaknesses, our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
Now, the Spirit intercedes for us. I believe sometimes that's what's happening kind of in the background, and we don't even recognize it. Let's say that you want to pray for your son or your daughter, and you say, God, I'm, I'm laying them out before you. God, I'm praying for my daughter. I'm praying for my son. And God, I want you to give them a good day today, and I want you to bless them. Maybe the Holy Spirit's praying like this, Father. What he's trying to say is his son's going to face some temptation today. What he's really meaning, Lord, is that his son is going to need some help today. And so, Father, give this young man self-control, and Lord, help him when he's out there in that temptation. Help him to depend upon me. Help him this morning as, as, he, as he looks at that temptation not to forget that I'm there with my strength to strengthen him in his time of need. Amen. You see, the Bible says in our weaknesses, when we really don't know how to pray, when we really don't know what to say, when we really don't know what the situation is, that the Spirit of God within me begins to kick in that prayer mode and he prays according to the will of God. Isn't that amazing? Charles Spurgeon explains praying in the Spirit. He says it this way. He dwells within us as our counselor and he points out to us what it is we should seek at the hands of God. We do not know why it is so, but sometimes we find our minds carried away by a strong undercurrent into a particular line of prayer for some definite purpose. Have you ever experienced that? You start praying, then suddenly there's a person that appears in your mind, and it's almost like the Spirit of God says, that's the one you should pray for right now. See, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. You see, the Spirit of God is often clearest when we pray. I'll give you the third one. The leading of the Holy Spirit is compelling, not condemning. Now, let me give you the verse. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus if you walk after the flesh, not after the flesh, but after who? The Spirit. the Spirit. Isn't that an awesome truth? When you stop thinking, start thinking about it, you know, the Bible tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Do you think the Holy Spirit has to do anything to help Satan do his job? You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say right now? I've been convicted by the Spirit. I've been compelled by the Spirit. Listen to me. I've never been condemned by the Spirit. Because the Spirit doesn't work in that realm. Jesus said this. He said in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Come unto me, all you that are labored and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. By the way, does that sound like the Holy Spirit's back there kicking our backside? No. You say, Pastor, how does the Spirit work in your life? He compels you. He woos you. Sometimes he convicts you, but he doesn't condemn you. Why? Last time I checked, we're the bride of Christ. Uh, if a man's smart, he don't make wise cracks at his wife. Some of you dummies with a black eye, you know you learned that the hard way, didn't you? 
He compels us. He doesn't convict us. You see, when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I'm talking this morning about that voice. That voice that sometimes isn't always clear. Listen to me. It doesn't accuse you. It doesn't condemn you. He may convict you. You say, Pastor, what's the difference between accusing and convicting? Satan accuses us, and he has no redemptive purpose in, uh, at all in mind. All he wants to do is discourage us. What does the Holy Spirit do? He comes alongside us, and he compels us, and he convicts us. Are you listening? But he has a redemptive purpose. I want to mature you. I want to make you Christ-like. I want you to get rid of some of those things that are holding you back and pick up some of those things that you need to make you into what you should be. Amen. Are you listening to me? Yes. We go to a Baptist church, folks. I've been to a Baptist church all of my life. Man, when I was a kid growing up, I never heard preaching like I just did. I thought God had a stick. And every time he got loose, man, you're going to get wax blown out both your ears at the same time. I don't believe that's the way God works. Come on, smile at me. Amen. Then I'd say this, the leading of the Holy Spirit isn't just about big decisions, it's about life. Uh, last week I talked to you about this verse, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye what? Come on, let's say it together. You surely couldn't have forgot by now. Be not drunk with wine, wine is excess, but be ye what? One more time, we ought to have it. Don't be drunk with wine, wine is dissipation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Now, did you get the contrast? The contrast is there's two ways to live your life. The issue is control. You can either be controlled by God's Spirit, or you can be controlled controlled by drunkenness. Now, drunkenness shows up. People say things they normally wouldn't say. People do things they wouldn't normally do. People drive ways they wouldn't normally drive. I could keep going with that. And there's all kinds of things that when drunkenness comes and controls somebody, about 99.9% .9 of the time, they lose their minds. Come on, you can amen that. That's a Baptist church. Yeah. Yeah. He says, don't do that. Don't be controlled by that wine god, Bracchus. But be controlled by the God, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible that as a Christian controlled by the Holy Spirit, I might do things I normally wouldn't do? That I might say some things I normally wouldn't say? that I might make some decisions that I normally wouldn't make? Hey, isn't that amazing? In the contrast, yes, there's certain ways you act when you're drunk, but he says, man, there's same similar things that happens to you when you're under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How many have recognized that my wife and I have been married 42 years? We prayed long and hard about getting married. That was a big decision. How many would agree with that? And we were seeking God's will. I knew what it was. She was just slow to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
But man, we prayed about it. We prayed about it. Man, I knew, I knew, I knew. And the Holy Spirit confirmed it in my spirit. Man, she's the one. But you know what? I don't think I've made any huge decisions of that magnitude along life's pathway than that one time. I prayed about where I was going to go to Bible college. Looking back, I'm not sure if I got the right answer or not. But, the, you know, most of life isn't made of huge decisions. I've often thought it's an amazing when you're 18 years old, you start thinking about some of the biggest decisions you'll ever make, and you're least prepared to make it. What am I going to be when I grow up? What college am I going to train at? I saw a girl. Is she the one? And you're 18 and stupid. You can amen that. That's the truth. But you know what life basically is? Are you listening to me? God invites regular stuff to come under his influence. Some of us are thinking about God's will right now, and we've got big, huge decisions. Who should I marry? What job should I work? What about that promotion? Where should I buy a new house? What should I do with my future? And we think that that's really what life is. That's a small part of life. God says, let me control all of your life. Not just the big decisions. Even some of the small ones. Maybe tomorrow you'll go to the post office. Maybe there's a little old lady there standing there with her arms full, and maybe the Lord's going to speak to you and say, why don't you ask her if you could hold her stuff in line? You think? And maybe while you're holding her stuff, maybe the Lord's going to give you an opportunity to talk to the gal about Christ. Wouldn't that be something? Well, quickly, and i got to close, and it's that time always. Let me give you a couple of applications real quick. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me teach you some things from our study. First of all, we've learned in our study that Jesus, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is our enabler. The Holy Spirit is our enabler. When I talk about the Holy Spirit, when you read the Bible, you'll find that people were empowered to do things they normally couldn't do. And one of the great examples of that is with the day of Pentecost. You'll remember that Jesus' first followers were hiding in fear, and they were locked behind closed doors, and they were afraid that they're going to be arrested, maybe be crucified like Jesus was crucified. But then they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and things changed. You see, when God gave them the Spirit of God, they became fearless. And they begin to speak languages they'd never studied to a group of people that assembled. They gave them the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible that God's Holy Spirit can enable us, Amen. empower us to do things we normally couldn't pull off? I was reading this week about the Cy Young Award winner named R.A. Dickey. He went to Vanderbilt over here. It was a pitcher. And R.A. Dickey, uh, 
in his career when it goes back in 1996 that Rangers made him their number one draft pick and he was offered an $810,000 contract. All he had to do was pass a routine physical. And R.A. Dickey's a good Christian. He said the physical that he took showed that his right elbow was missing the unilateral uh, ligament. He was born without it. Dickey, a committed Christian, basically entered into training camp and he ordered a prayer of gratitude. He said, Lord, I want to thank you for your blessings. I want to thank you for getting me this far. And after that, as soon as he opened his eyes, there was his agent, there was the manager. They brought him into the office and the Rangers told him, we're rescinding our offer. Dickey said, I didn't feel devastation. I didn't even feel anger. He said, I felt rage. Complete rage. It felt like it was going to start in my toes and blast upward through my body like a tsunami into my gut, right through the top of my head. And I wanted to tell him what I really felt. But he said, it seemed like there was a strong arm on my shoulder. It held me back. It gave me pause. And it was in that instance I had self-control that wasn't there a moment earlier. And a voice spoke that only I could hear, and it said, relax. Relax, R.A., it's okay. I got you. By the way, he's got us too. And some of us need to listen to the Holy Spirit when he says, I got you. I got you. Not only can the Spirit enable us, the Spirit's our coach. When I talk about a coach, it seems that the Holy Spirit seems to point out those things that are holding us back. Those areas of our life that keeps us from progressing in our journey as being his child. When I talk about the Spirit of God, John chapter 16, verse 13 says, He, the Spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into truth. He will not speak of his own initiative, but only what he hears he will speak, and he will disclose to you what it is to come. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that lives within us. And when we need his help, and when we know, need to know what to do in a particular situation, he's there as our coach to guide us into truth and to speak the truth. With the Holy Spirit, I'll go back to this just for a second. He doesn't nag. He prods. His coaching benefits us immeasurably. 
You ever heard of Muhammad Ali? You remember who his corner man was? Angelo Dundee. Angelo Dundee was his corner man, and for more than two decades, he helped Muhammad Ali float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. And he coached 15 other world championship boxers. Angelo Dundee described his job in the corner as, when you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, you're an engineer, and you're a psychologist. The Holy Spirit, listen to me, is our coach. He's our enabler. Quickly, he's our guide. Will you write this verse down? Isaiah 28, 29 says, there is also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. You say, Pastor, what do you think that verse is saying? Hey, do you think it's possible that the Spirit of God can guide your thoughts? Do you think that the Spirit of God can guide your circumstances? Do you think that the Spirit of God can bring things across your path just at the right time? Bible says he's wonderful. He's excellent in his workings. He's wonderful in his counsel. You see, the Spirit of God is our guide. He's our guide. Let me illustrate. How many of you ever watch these guys on sports and these commentators on television? They got that little, that little earplug in their ear. How many know what I'm talking about? And every once in a while, you'll see that kind of weird look on their face, and you can tell they're can't figure out what to do. Read the monitor or listen to what the earplug's saying. And, and, and sometimes they even talk to the producer, right, in the middle of the newscast. And you're kind of like a <laughs> ping pong ball. You say, Pastor, what are you getting at? Hey, did you know I honestly believe the Holy Spirit's kind of like that little earplug? There's been some times I know in my life the Holy Spirit has said, you don't want to do that. I know there's been a few times he said, that's something you should have left unsaid. I'm kind of like Mark Twain. I've never regretted anything I haven't said. You see, the Spirit of God comes along and he is God's voice in our ear. And the Spirit of God is wise enough to come along just at the right time to say the right word and hopefully we're smart enough to listen. I'll be quite honest with you. There's been some times when I didn't. And boy, did I ever regret that. How about you? Yeah? Now, this morning, I'll give you one last illustration. I'll see if I get my point across. Some of you said, you got your point across, Pastor. It's time to go. Let's shut up and go home. Well, let me tell you one more last story. In my car, I have right now the best GPS I've ever had. Now, I'm going to be real honest. There's several reasons why it's the best. First of all, it's a screen large enough that I can see. I got one on that phone, but I'd be dead gum if I can read what it says. I mean, know what I'm talking about. It's just too small. I can't see it. But I got one about this big in my car. And you know what it'll do to me? I type in the number where I want to go, type in the address. And what it does, it's got a, a person hit in there somewhere. And it's a woman. 
And she says, in 150 feet, turn right. Yesterday I was out making a visit and I I was going along and I I was thinking about something else and I thought, man, I need to see so-and-so, so so I'm not going to go there right yet. I'm going to go see them. Then I'll come back and see them. And I went by my spot where it said turn right and it said, okay, at the next block, turn right. And I went a little farther. At the next block, turn right. Finally, it said, you must make a (laughs) U-turn. Here's the point of my sermon. The Bible says I'm to be led by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5 says I'm to keep in step with the Spirit. By the way, you know a better GPS than what I got in my car? The one that lives within me. Because he'll speak to me. He'll say, danger, Phil. (laughs) He'll say, shut your mouth right now. (laughs) A fool utters all of his mind. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit quotes me verses. Are you listening to me? Yeah. You say, Pastor, can that be true of me? It is true of you. If you'll relinquish the control of your life and be close at hand and say, Lord, instead of me controlling my life, I want you to lead me. And he will. And he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for what we're learning today. We're thankful that you love us and you care for us. And Lord, as we study... As we spend this time studying about the Holy Spirit, Lord, help us not to be confused. Lord, help us not to watch Christian television and get carried off with every wind of doctrine. But God, help us to look right at your word and see what your word says. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a second. How many of you this morning would say, Pastor, I have that inbuilt counselor. I have that coach that lives within me. I know for a fact that God's Holy Spirit lives within me. You say, Pastor, what are you saying this morning? I'm saying this. If you're saved, if you're God's child, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if your sins are forgiven, if you're going to heaven when you're dead, listen to me. Scripture says God's Spirit lives within you. You have that ability this morning. You can be in step with the Spirit if you'll be close at hand. If you'll present your body a living sacrifice. How many this morning would say, Pastor, I know, I know, I know that I'm his and he's mine. I'm God's child. There's no doubt about it. How many this morning would say, Pastor, that's my testimony today. Would you lift your hand this morning all over this room? You can put it down. Thank you so 